This is Sight in Africa. Welcome to episode five of the series from the LSE Ferrell's largest center for Africa. I'm Sierra Mia Willoughby. To produce our best, we often need the input of others. And that's why collaboration is important. This is why conferences play such a key role in academic life. In African studies, they provide places where Africa-based scholars can connect with colleagues in the global north and other parts of the global south, learn from each other, and set up new research collaborations. However, there are a number of constraints that make it challenging for large numbers of Africa-based academics to attend conferences outside the continent. And when they do get there, the key topics discussed about Africa are different from those in their home countries. This creates the risk of having two isolated silos of knowledge produced on Africa, one by scholars based in the global north and another by Africa-based scholars. In this episode, we will be exploring the north-south divide in African studies, the balancing act Africa-based scholars have to juggle to remain relevant internationally and locally. We will also discuss the work of some organizations in boosting knowledge exchange and collaborations, both inside and outside the continent. We'll start by discussing the fault line that exists in the Global African Academy. In episode one, we mentioned the study by Briggs and Weathers, which indicates that keywords found in papers submitted by scholars based outside of Africa diverge clearly from those submitted by scholars based on the continent. For instance, scholars based in the global north were more likely to generalize about the African continent as a whole, while their Africa-based colleagues had more country-specific publications. Also, while papers published by northern-based scholars focused on topics such as violence, civil wars, and disease, the papers of Africa-based authors more often cited concepts of structural transformation and party politics. This divide affects the types of conversations that take place about issues within the continent. This has made it necessary to diversify the venues for cross-fertilization of ideas and collaboration within African countries. Let's hear from Professor Akosia Adomakwampufo, a professor of African and Gender Studies at the University of Ghana, Legon. African Studies associations and collectives and studies and programs were not all necessarily founded with the same goals that we have today as Africans on the continent. In many places, um, the, the, the agenda was the, the, the colonial agenda. Let's know, the, let's know these people and understand them so that we can colonize them better. Okay, that, that has changed um, over the years in some places, but that was pretty much the agenda. And the, the African Studies Association of, of the U.S., for example, recently um, had a very interesting talk by its outgoing president, um, Jean Allman, where she, and she titled her paper, Heskovitz Must Fall, and goes into some of the ruptures in the African Studies Association that caused a number of African-Americans to leave at various points because they did not appreciate the ways in which white American males who were at the top of the hierarchy were, one, studying Africa, and two, dealing with Africans and African-Americans. Akosia Adomako Ampofu. Let's hear an extract from that 2018 presidential lecture at the annual meeting of the African Studies Association delivered by Professor Jean Allman. 
I want to argue that the privileging of white scholarship was hardwired into the ASA at its founding. As William Martin and Michael West, two scholars whose critical work on the ASA is without parallel, put it in 1999, quote, the emergence of this highly racialized field of study, the Africanist enterprise, as they called it, required the purposeful displacement of a competing and older tradition of black scholarship. That displacement, I will argue, has not been undone. Displacement was foundational to the constitution of the ASA, and it has been enduring. Secondly, that foundational displacement was consciously intended by many of the founding fellows of the organization and with forethought to sever any connections with an emerging African-American studies or black studies. And that separation occurred despite the fact that several of the ASA's founding fathers actually found their first employment at Howard University, arguably the center of African studies research and teaching in the US, if not in the world, in the 1920s and the 1930s. That was an extract from the presidential lecture by Professor Gene Allman at the 2018 annual meeting of the African Studies Association in Atlanta. The privileging of Northern voices on debates about Africa has meant that Africa-based academics sometimes feel out of place when taking part in conferences held in the Global North. Dr. Akosia Dakwa, Associate Professor in the Sociology Department of the University of Ghana, is one scholar who has felt this discomfort. A bit of boldness at international conferences, a bit of boldness. I mean, uncomfortable conversations, right? I mean, you go to a conference, somebody's saying something, you're Ghanaian and you're thinking, what kind of crock is that, right? But, but we're in a space where you are going to be the lone voice and it's going to come off as uncomfortable because this person sometimes is fairly well known and they've been saying this for the last five conferences and nobody has quite said, well, Wait a minute, not quite so simple, right? Well, once we've had those uncomfortable conversations, then we can begin to say, okay, so this voice is different. What do we do, we do with that? And if that voice then puts together a paper, that sounds and reads very differently from what a normal paper sounds or reads like. What do you do with it? I think that because we are not having the uncomfortable conversations, then the uncomfortable papers are not being put in front of us mm -hmm. to deal with. So you're not having to. Mm -hmm. Sometimes your lone voice isn't so much. You, you think differently. Your, your positionality is different. The way mm -hmm. you see it mm -hmm. is different. Mm -hmm. The way you feel about it mm -hmm. is different, depending on which space you are in. Mm -hmm. I mean, so when I'm in the African Studies Association conferences, it doesn't feel as alienating. I think you feel the alienation more when you are in subject-specific conferences, mm -hmm. right? I'm a sociologist. Much of what's been theorized and conceptualized isn't with Africa as the base. Mm -hmm. So when you are sitting in there, you are thinking, what do I do with this in a Ghanaian context? How do I, is this applicable? In what ways is it applicable? If I've got a different reality, what mm -hmm. do I make of this? How do I speak to this conversation, given mm -hmm. that these things are very mm -hmm. different, right? Mm -hmm. um, things are supposed to be universal, are they? Mm -hmm. And if your context is different, does it mean you are abnormal? And how mm -hmm. do you write about it and talk about it? Mm -hmm. Dr. Kosia Dakwa there. 
Alden Young, assistant professor at Drexel University, also acknowledges this difference. In our interview with him, he compared the experiences he has had when he presents at a conference within Sudan, where the audience really knows about the specifics of his case study versus how it is in the U.S. when he presents his work. But I think it's different writing as an Africanist in the United States because I'm always conscious that a large part of my audience doesn't particularly care about the specifics of my cases. And I think it, it's an opportunity and also a constraint in the sense that you have to write about your case in a way in which it has a broader relevance, in a, in a, perhaps a less immediate relevance, but a more abstract relevance. Dr. Alden Young. And for Africa-based scholars, it is important to master the juggling act of producing work that is relevant both locally and internationally. Akosia Dakwar again. I think that what tends to happen when you publish internationally is that you are more likely to be engaging in international debates. When you publish locally, you are interested in a local debate that might not have any bearing on an international debate or that the international have no recognition for or pay no attention to. Mm -hmm. So the two conversations are not necessarily going in the same mm -hmm. directions. And what it means for you as an African scholar is to be able to balance both. Mm -hmm. You should be as relevant here as you are mm -hmm. when you step into the, um, onto the international stage. I also think, I mean, when you, when you write for a local audience, there's a basic level of understanding that you don't need to worry about. Whereas when you publish internationally, you have to think about that. But it is one thing to adapt your research finding for different audiences. A greater challenge for scholars is when they develop concepts and ideas that go against mainstream established thought, with the weakening of research capacity in African universities during the neoliberal era, Africa-based researchers found themselves with a weakened capacity to challenge dominant paradigms. Akosia Dakwa tells us more about this issue. There's a conversation that I don't think we are having enough, and a conversation that's not necessarily the most comfortable conversation to have. Mm -hmm. But there's definitely a conversation about, this is us, but we don't get to talk about us on our own terms. Mm -hmm. And you have to learn to speak a certain language about yourselves, and sometimes there's a bit of a disconnect. Mm -hmm. And you're having to try and figure out, well, you might think differently, but your ideas are not what the mainstream ideas are. So learn the language of the mainstream ideas and, mm -hmm. and go with that. Um, mm -hmm. Yesterday night I was online looking at Cheikh Anta Diop, the Senegalese scholar, right? Who everybody thought he was crazy. His ideas were too far out. And in fact, they would say some of his ideas are too far out. What makes it too far out? That's not the norm as defined largely by the West. So mm -hmm. what do you do with that, you know? Dr. Kosia Dakwade. Even though it is difficult having these conversations, there is growing awareness of some of these challenges, driven in part by the fallist protests that have been taking place in higher education institutions around the world. New organizations are now diversifying the way Africa is being spoken about and the location of these dialogues. One of these is the African Studies Association for Africa, which was launched in 2013. Professor Akosia Adomako Ampofo is one of the founders and the current president. The whole notion of having an African Studies Association, Association I'm sorry, is not new. And um, there were prior attempts in 1962, there was a conference which um, developed a steering committee 
and I'm going to list some of the names of the people who were there um, because these, these were important scholars at the time. So there was Onuke Dike from Nigeria, there was Nana Komnanketsia from Ghana, there was um, Cesare from the Antilles, there was Joseph Kizebo from then Upper Volta, now Burkina Faso, there was Akilo Hapte from Ethiopia, Mbudba um, from Tunisia, Martin Bakole from the Congo, Nicolas Otieni from Kenya, Alion Diop from Senegal, James Coleman from the US, and so forth. So th this happened in 1962, and the stuff was deep. Okay, we're talking 1960s, we're talking decolonization, we're talking, you know, an African academy, all of this was happening. But um, in, in the last decade or so, I think that in different places, people were having conversations about making this happen. And sometimes you just need, you know, a little trigger. So in um, 2013, or when was it? Codestria had a, a meeting in Morocco. And uh, a colleague of mine, Techua Menu, introduced me to Lungisile Intabeza, who is the director of the Center for African Studies at the University of Cape Town. And she said, you guys should have a conversation. You've both been, I know that both of you have been talking about setting up an African Studies Association, so have a conversation. So long story short, we had several conversations, both at the University of Cape Town, University of Ghana, with different um, colleagues. Both of us had a bit of clout. He was director at his center. I was director at the institute. So we could make this happen. And we said, you know what, we're, we're going to make it happen and brought other people on board. So in 2013, when the Institute of African Studies at the University of Ghana celebrated its uh, 50th anniversary, we launched the association and had the the first proper conference in Ibadan in 2015, then had the next one back in Legon in 2017. Professor Kosia Adomakwampofo. The creation of this body means that African studies scholars on the African continent who are unable to attend meetings in the US, the UK or Europe for one reason or another, now have an even wider variety of conferences to attend closer to home. Let's hear again from Akosia Adomakwampofo. And then there are the practical reasons, the cost of travel, the difficulties of getting visas more and more, going to the so-called global north, you know, many places in Africa, and increasingly you do not need a visa. Maybe South Africa might be the last bastion, but you don't need a visa to go, so it comes easier, places you can go by road. And there are also other benefits, particularly for junior researchers. Akosia Adomako Ampufo. And it provides a space where you can be yourself, okay? You're not, you're not performing for another audience, um, for your academic progress or anything like that. You're with, you're with people who, if I say you don't need to translate yourself to, um, I hope that makes sense. It's, it, it's kind of, you've, ha you've had the same history and experience, similar histories and experiences. So when you explain something that's happening in a small community in, let's say, Uganda. Your brother or sister in Ghana kind of connects, and I'm not trying by any means to go into the Africa as a country kind of thing. But there are certain similarities that people understand immediately. And you're not there as a poster child, you know, the one black student from Research One University somewhere who's been able to make their way to the conference. You're with your peers. Senior scholars can also benefit from attending conferences as it's a great way to get exposed to new ideas and learn more about cutting-edge research. 
Akosia Adomakwampofo says more about this. It's, it's also important for senior and junior scholars to be able to meet together, to share our work, for us to know what younger scholars are doing. It's, it's very difficult for senior scholars to know what younger scholars are doing or for young scholars to know what each other are doing. It's, it's easier for young scholars to know what senior scholars are doing because we are publishing in sometimes highfalutin journals. So it's a space where we can also figure out, oh, here's the next generation in country X or Y, this is what they are doing, and enables there to be more, quote-unquote, cross-fertilization. But for some, having an African Studies Association on the continent doesn't make sense, an idea which Professor Akosia Adamako Ampofo refutes. I know that there are some critiques of why are we even doing African Studies in Africa? The implicit assumption is that once you're a scholar in Africa, you are doing African studies. But we know that's not the case. That's why we talk about decolonizing the academy. You can be in Africa and doing what Kwame Nkrumah used to refer to as European studies of Africa. And this is, this is not what we want to do. So it's important for us to, you know, to locate ourselves in these spaces. One major constraint to organizing conferences is securing funding. But as Professor Akosia Adomakwampofo told me, a bit of creativity never goes amiss. There, there are two ways that we funded. Um, one was um, registration for the conference, so people had to pay. We had different rates, depending if you're on the continent or outside the continent, if you're a student, if you're a faculty member. So, so there was that pot of money. And then we had to fundraise, so you, you look for sponsors. Um, we had sponsors for, for example, textile companies gave us material which we used to, to uniform the ushers and to give us little um, tokens to our keynote speakers. All of the keynote speakers uh, so far donated their, their time and in many cases their travel as well. You know, so these, this, this is all contribution in kind um, we had financial institutions give us money. So, you know, the, these were gifts in kind that allowed us to, to top up what um, the registration fees provided. When I was directing the Center for Gender Studies at the University of Ghana, one of the members of our sexual harassment committee went to her church. And we know that many churches on the continent today have a fair bit of money. And she got her church to provide uh, a not insignificant amount of money for us to have conversations among young people about sexual harassment and um, sexual politics and sexual responsibility and so on. So I guess one has to think a bit more outside the box about where one can go and what, you know, what one can get. Professor Domako Ampofo of the University of Legan and current president of the African Studies Association of Africa. Another organization fostering knowledge exchange between Africanist scholars in the North and South is the Institute of New Economic Thinking, also called INET. Let's hear from Alden Young, assistant professor at Drexel University in the United States. This grew out of the financial crisis of 2008 and this question of um, how do we generate um, more heterodox ideas um, in the economics discipline in general. And the Africa group actually... Um, in some ways, um, began in an interesting place. It began both growing out of the economic history working group, 
which was primarily focused on questions of um, European economic history, with a smaller focus, of course, on like Asia. The, the Africa Working Group grew out of a frustration with, with that space and also um, a realization that there were so many um, younger scholars who couldn't afford to go to conferences initially in Europe and later in the United States. And so one of the, our big initiatives has been simply um, providing funds to both hold conferences on the African continent and to fund scholars to travel to important um, gatherings like the African Economic History Network. And, it, and we found that it actually takes relatively small sums of money um, to push for greater inclusion in, in these conferences on the African continent and to pay for young, younger scholars to be able to travel to North America and to Europe or also to Asia. That was old and young. This initiative has really taken off in the past two or three years. Let's hear from Richard Itzerman, lecturer in the Department of International Development at King's College London, who is also a member of the INET African Working Group. There's been, I would say, about five or six over two or three years, and at different uh, scales or even different, different levels. So I think the conference started in 2000 and... 16 in Zimbabwe. YSI Africa partnered with the University of Zimbabwe, I think the history, uh, economic history department. In 2017, we were in South Africa. And, and I, the conversation was around decolonizing economics. Uh, and that brought together African researchers, young African researchers from Africa, but, but also from, from across Europe. Um, and the Americas, um, but of course, but but then after that, we've had a series of of conferences. Well, we had a major conference in Zimbabwe this year, and then we had another conference in Ghana in partnership with Globalix. Richard Itzerman there. There is much talk of a dearth of economists and political economists from African countries, but Alden Young says that he has been pleasantly surprised by the range of scholars who have applied to attend their conferences. We often talk about there being a lack of, um, of qualified scholars or you know, the inability to find these voices. But I think one of the things that INET showed us and by, by, um, by issuing very open calls you, can, you actually find hundreds of people. And one of the challenges is not being so, um, so methodologically focused or, or immediately disqualifying certain types of scholarship um, from the conversation. And then part of the challenge, I think, is inviting as many people as you can to, to the conference. Dr. Alden Young of Drexel University and the Institute of New Economic Thinking. Other organizations are also choosing to organize conferences on the continent to expand their engagement with African voices. This is a great way to identify the research areas that are most relevant to African researchers. For example, the American Anthropological Association partnered with the African Studies Association to host the Africa in the World Conference in Johannesburg in May 2018. The journal, review of the African political economy was also busy in this regard in 2017 and 2018 with workshops in Accra, Dar es Salaam and Johannesburg. 
when scholars from the global north and other parts of the world attend these conferences, it results in opportunities for dynamic knowledge exchange and collaboration. Let's hear again from Richard Itzerman of King's College London. Well, I think it's important to encourage collaboration, but also to gather different experiences uh, or different perspectives of a particular theme that's been discussed. It can be tricky because Africa, as we know, has been, um, I mean, the, not the dominant narrative in Africa has been one that's very, very mainstream. And what Africa needs is not another kind of mainstream collaboration, but Western researchers with different ideas, alternative ideas, because having pursued mainstream policies since the 1980s, um, there's not much we know that Africa remains almost in the state that it was. So yes, collaboration is very, is very necessary, but it's also important that the nature of that collaboration is one that is selective and speaks to alternative ideas rather than what's been pursued in the last 30 to 40 years. Richard Itzerman there. Again, let's hear from Alden Young, a researcher based in the Global North, describing how he has benefited from attending conferences on the continent. I think one of the, the interesting things about um, presenting in Southern Africa or in Sudan um, is how po immediately politically relevant the work that you're doing is. Um, when I'm in Sudan, for instance, I think often the audience asks much more direct questions, um, questions about how this is relevant to local and immediate politics, my research. And I think that forces me, um, I think that's forced me in many ways to change the way in which I do my research and that's forced me to foreground um, more immediate concerns about um, where Sudanese politics and political life is going, um, um, how I can help think about the crisis that's going on in Sudan. Or, for instance, um, when you go from, this summer I went from Zimbabwe to, um, to, to Sudan directly, and the problem of exchanging money, the problem of, um, of, of multiple currencies and hyperinflation was immediate. And now this has become a major concern of my own research. Um, how can I think about that? How can I ask questions about the role of the dollar in African economies that I that had never occurred to me um, sitting in my office in, um, in North America, right? And it holds you to account. Um, one of the things that's been very interesting is to have, is to give talks in Sudan and have people tell me um, that they know these people or that I'm speaking about people from which, um, that are not unknown. And, you know, people will provide me additional evidence, additional sources. Um, people want to check your numbers. People, um, people can dialogue with the specifics of your cases in ways that rarely happens um, when you present in the Global North. Dr. Alden Young. As with any big gathering, it is also important that conference organizers ensure that these meetings don't evolve into annual reunions but there are continual opportunities to promote new linkages across borders. When academics put together their own conference panels of colleagues working on a particular theme, it may feel like a closed social club. But is that really the case? 
Let's hear again from Akosia Adomakompofo, president of the African Studies Association of Africa. Sometimes people have already started a conversation together and they want to, as individuals, want to have that conversation together for an audience and, and get feedback. And so you want to allow them to have that conversation together and to present it as a kind of collective, so that's important. And then there are others who are doing new things and they don't yet have companions, so to speak, uh, quote-unquote. Or there uh, are people who might be doing similar things to them, but they don't know each other. So then it's, you know, you submit a free-floating paper and the organizers have the responsibility to, to find others that you can be in conversation with. And sometimes you want to bring people who are sort of n not necessarily contradicting each other, but who've been in contestation about something. But because they have different perspectives on an issue, it's useful to put them together on a panel and they will not do that of their own accord. And certainly younger scholars often don't know, um, you know where to go, at least in my experience as, as a younger scholar, I just submitted you know, an abstract and then hoped that somebody would put me somewhere because I didn't know enough. Then again, I'm seeing more and more younger scholars putting panels together. So at the recent uh, ASA in Atlanta, I was invited onto a panel by younger scholars. They were putting together a series of panels on um, decolonization. And you know, I was invited to join that. Which, you know, normally, it's the reverse. So, you know, that too is changing. Younger scholars are taking, are not, are not, are not sitting back and waiting. And we, sh we should en enable and allow them um, to do that. Akosia Adomakompo for there. Communication technologies are also making academic exchange easier and speeding up the spread and impact of research. It has now opened up another way for young scholars to expand the academic network. And you can build your reputation by, you know, getting, getting to know people without physically meeting them these days. You know, you can reach out to people, um, shoot them an email, shoot 10 emails to 10 professors that you don't know as a PhD student. One of them is likely, you know, to respond to you. And, and you can build a relationship that way and even end up collaborating with someone that way without actually ever physically going to the University of Toronto or SOAS or um, whatever it is. So recently, the Contemporary Journal of African Studies, based at the Institute of African Studies at the University of Ghana, where I'm the editor-in-chief, we got a young Ghanaian PhD student at the Michigan State University to, to do a book review how did, um, he's called Ni, how did Ni Nikwe, how did I find him? We met each other on Twitter. I discovered that he's interested in popular music, hip hop and high life and so on. So then there's a woman who's written a book on hip hop and music in Africa and we want a reviewer. So I find, I've never met this young man before, but he's done a, a very good book review for us. As we conclude this episode, we asked Akosia Domako and Pofo how she would boost collaboration and dialogue across borders if she had a big pot of money. Boy, did she come up with a list. As far as the African Studies Association is concerned, I helped set up a secretariat and, and hire full-time staff to sit there 
um, you know, to do the work that, you know, organizations need to keep them um, alive and to pay someone to do fundraising and to raise our profile and to have, you know, a Twitter handle that's actually working and where they are posts all the time. Um, and then for ASA also to enlarge our conference you know, funding so that we can give scholarships to young scholars, PhD students to attend, you know, pay their airfare, pay their hotel, pay for their meals, um, enable them to come, and also to have workshops between the conferences, workshops maybe on publishing, workshops on um, fundraising, the kinds of things that graduate students and young scholars need very much these days. Um, Personally, I'd also want us to invest a lot more in popular culture, music, drama, fine art, festivals in different regions of the country. I would translate important texts out of colonial into local languages, um, increase funding so people could come home. There are young people who want to come, who've studied you know, in, in North America and in Europe, who would like to come home into the academy, but they cannot afford, afford to do so because the, the salaries are just not great. And I'd also look, give money for folks to do archival and um, new research, especially for younger scholars. You know, go out there, do the work, and, and let us know what's going on because it's, it's expensive to do that. And so we often are relying on work that's already been done or we're doing a lot of anecdotal work, or we're not able to do um, long-term studies, so we do cross-sectional studies and that's it, but we need to repeat studies also over uh, several years so that we can make comparisons, and that costs a lot of money, so that would be some of the things on my wish list. So if any potential funders are listening, please do get in touch with Professor Akosia Adomakompofo at the Institute of African Studies at the University of Ghana, Legon. She will be sure to put your money to good use. In this episode, we have showcased the way conferences can boost North-South knowledge exchange and dialogue. Thanks very much to all our contributors, Professor Akosia Adomakompofo, Dr. Alden Young, and Dr. Richard Itzman. Have you had an experience that resonates with this podcast? Please do share it with us on Twitter using the hashtag SightInAfrica. In the next episode, we'll be providing some practical advice for junior scholars about how they can identify the right journal for their work as they seek to get on the career ladder. I'm Sierra Mia Willoughby. Thank you for listening to SightInAfrica. Sight in Africa was funded by the LSE Knowledge Exchange and Impact Fund, the LSE Department of International Development, and the Review of African Political Economy Journal.